glorify the Lord. Aren't you thankful for that grace of God? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's not what we deserve. If we got what we deserve, it's called judgment. And we wouldn't have opportunity to live with the Lord for all of eternity. And grace is not a license to sin. Paul dealt with that when he said, should, I con- should we continue in sin because grace abounds? And then he answered it. God forbid. You don't just do whatever you want to do because you can run to an altar and ask for forgiveness and keep going on your way. That's not that's the abuse of grace. Paul said, I don't want to frustrate the grace of God. But if you do mess up, the Bible says that we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. For there is one mediator between God and men. It's the man Christ Jesus. I'm thankful for that grace today. Amen. Clap your hands unto the Lord. Amen. It's so good to be in service this evening. Turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to continue walking through this in fact, you may be seated because I'm not necessarily going to read a text. We're just going to start kind of walking through this. Thank you for your patience, your understanding of my absence the past two Sundays. Um, trust me, I did plenty of praying driving from Houston to here that there would be no accidents and no road traffic, and, and the Lord helped us make it. You know, Paul told Timothy, he said, do the work of an evangelist. Now, Timothy was a pastor. And Paul said, do the work of an evangelist. And when Brother Story called me some two years ago, gave me that word from the Lord that I was fixing to start preaching out more than I ever had, I said, Lord, I don't need a place to preach. I've got a wonderful place that you've blessed me with, wonderful congregation. But I told the Lord, if you'll open the doors, I'll walk through them. I don't need to knock on a door. I don't need a door. And so it was that now it seems like past six, seven weeks, I've been preaching nearly every Sunday morning. But uh, don't, don't let, the, let anybody tell you I'm looking to leave. I promise you. I'm not looking to go anywhere. This is where my heart is. This is where God has called me. But I also told the Lord that I would do the work of an evangelist as he opened the door and saw fit. So I just wanted to set your minds at ease that this is the place that God has called me. Amen. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John have created quite a stir in Jerusalem. We talked about it just a couple of weeks ago when the lame man was healed on their way to prayer at the temple. This happened on the way to prayer, not on the way from prayer. Because the early Christians prayed without ceasing. The true church was built upon prayer, and that prayer is what activated the power of God. A church that does not have power is a church that is lacking in prayer. I want people when they walk into our church to feel when they walk through the doors 
that there is something different in the atmosphere. It's not just, it's not just music. It's not a great preacher or a great sermon, but it is prayer that activates the heavenly realm. The Bible says that Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. You see a crowd that gathered to see this farmer lame man walking and leaping and praising God. And Peter turns to the temple into a, turns that temple into a courtroom and says, he lays out all the evidence for everybody to see. See, people will debate this book. That's why there's so many religions, so many denominations. But you cannot debate the supernatural. There was no way that anybody could say that this was fake. A man that for all of those years, these same people had passed by and all of a sudden the supernatural touch of God hit him and, and Peter just lays it all out before them. And so we ask ourselves, how could two ordinary fishermen perform such a great miracle? It had nothing to do with them, but it was through the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Just like it has nothing to do with who we are. God can use any person in this building because it is not based upon what we have accomplished, our pedigree, who we are. It has everything to do with the power of the name of Jesus Christ that he, he made available to the church. Amen? The Bible says in his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness, soundness in the presence of you all. So it was upon that word that the commotion starts, and the ruling council of the Jews quickly has the disciples arrested held overnight, and, and so it's there that we bring uh, our attention to Acts chapter 4. Brother Brandon, I want you to read those first four verses. And as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. Now to understand this verse, you've got to understand who the Sadducees were. They dominated the ruling council of the Jewish religion, which was called the Sanhedrin. And unlike the Pharisees, they did not believe in the resurrection. So Peter's preaching is highly offensive to the Sadducees. Because here Jesus is saying, Peter is saying that Jesus rose from the dead. And yet the, sin, the, the, the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe it's possible. So they're starting off offending them. But even the disciples' arrest could not Change the impact of this miracle because 2,000 more people were added to the church 
because they believed. You know what I found out? The greater the opposition, the greater the revival, the greater the miracle. We, we ought not think that the enemy is just going to let the church have revival. But when the spirit world gets stirred up, flesh starts getting stirred up. But that just lets me know that something's going to happen in the church. Amen. Something's going to break in the spirit world. Here we have the early church, and they had none of the advantages that the modern church has. It's amazing how much we think we have to have to have church. I mean, if you think some of you elders 50 years ago didn't have any of this, but I'm sure there's powerful moves of God that stick out in your memories. People dancing in the Holy Ghost, miracles that happen. We don't have to have what we have right now. But let me tell you what we have to have. we got to have the glory of God in the church. Because if you don't have that, then nothing in this that you see matters. We've got to have the glory of God. In fact, if you look at most of those preachers in the book of Acts, some of them had jail records. They may not even get a license today. But look who Jesus used to start the church. They may not have been eloquent in speech. They may not have known how to lay out a sermon with an intro and three points in a closing. But those men knew how to pray. And that's what it takes to have a move of God is prayer. In Acts 3 and 4, immediately after the day of Pentecost, the emphasis is on the name of Jesus. And this is not a coincidence because a name is much more than just identification. It carries with it authority and power. The first concern of the first Christians was to give glory to the name of Jesus. And if we ever lose the, the focus of the church, then we are going to try to do this thing by ourselves. Listen to me. I've been in churches that were so Dead. I had to check, make sure I had a pulse. Dead. I mean, they had beautiful singing. They had everything that you think you got to have. But they were dead. Just because it says Pentecostal or apostolic doesn't mean the glory of God rests in that church. You gotta have the glory of God if you're gonna be a part of the church of the living God. We cannot get so used to doing this thing through the arm of the flesh. We've gotta have the power of the name of Jesus operating in our midst. Somebody say amen. 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 Acts chapter four, verse five through seven, Brother Brandon. And it came to pass on the morrow that the rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in their midst, they asked, By what power, or by what name, have ye done this? Now, the Sanhedrin consisted of at least 70 members in this council with the high priest serving as the leader 
of that council or that committee. And they had power under Rome to condemn a man, but not put him to death. Annas and Caiaphas had both shared in the trial of Jesus and had him condemned by false witnesses in illegal proceedings held in the dead of night. They thought by their conniving that they had put an end to Jesus. Furthermore, if you really examine it, Caiaphas had disqualified himself spiritually at the trial of Jesus from ever having any religious authority to lead the Sanhedrin. It shows you how crooked they are. Now watch this. In Leviticus 21 and 10, it says, And he that is the high priest among his brethren, upon whose head the anointing oil was poured, and that is consecrated to put on the garments, shall not uncover his head, nor rend his clothes. But in Mark 14, 61, it says, But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes and saith, What need we any further witnesses? Ye have heard the blasphemy. What think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. But what was unseen at that moment is when that high priest rent his clothes, it disqualified him from the royal priesthood, from the high priest. And it was at that moment that the priesthood passed from him to the real high priest, which was Jesus Christ. He didn't know that what he was doing was playing right in the hands of the plan of God. This is why Hebrews 4.14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest, that is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast the profession of our faith, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Hey friend, what the enemy thought would be evil, God said, I'll turn it around. He's disqualified himself so I could step into the role of the order of Melchizedek. He said, by what power or by what name have ye done this? A man who had been lame for 38 years. You got to get the picture. A man that had been lame for 38 years had just been miraculously healed. In fact, he is outside walking right in the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Yet they want to punish the disciples who had a part in him receiving his miracle. It's called spiritual blindness. 
People that can't see what God is doing in the Spirit because they're so focused on the flesh. I've been in churches where people ignored people getting the Holy Ghost. Did you see this? Or did you see that? Couldn't, couldn't see what God was doing because they were looking at things through the eyes of the flesh. Called spiritual blindness. Mark 13 says, But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils. And in the synagogues ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do ye premeditate. But whosoever, whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye. For it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. So God gave them a heads up. Jesus forewarned them. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. They had no clue what all this meant. But now, starting with the first miracle after Pentecost, the prophecy started being fulfilled. And, and the Bible says in Matthew 10, 22, ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end. Friend, can I remind you that this race is not to the swift. It's not to the strong. But it's that person that just says, I'm going to keep on going. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what my family says. I don't care what my, my neighbors say, my jobs say. Hey, there's a prize to gain. There's a heaven to gain. And there's a hell to shun. God never intended his people to be welcomed by the world. Never. Why are we wanting the world to accept us when that's so contrary to Scripture? Now, I do believe that, that we ought to use wisdom and not pick fights. There's a way to use this book skillfully in a spirit of love the Bible says don't cast your pearl before swine. Some people don't want to be convinced. They just want to argue. But there are hungry people that are reading you and that's going to open the door to read this. But if what they're reading in you contradicts this, they're never going to get to this. Amen. The followers of Jesus in the first century were persecuted by the religious establishment because of their insistence on using his name. Does that sound familiar? A world, living in a world where they don't want you to pray in the name of Jesus. They don't want you to broadcast the name of Jesus. Everybody gets offended over every little thing. And so we're living in a world where you got to pet everybody because you don't want nobody's feelings to get hurt. You know what? I'm not that old, but I can remember when not everybody was a winner. Hey, 
We used to have physical fitness tests at school. Anybody remember those? Every six weeks. I don't even know if they do them anymore. I don't even know if they have PE anymore. And look, I was always last or second to last in the mile. Because there was one guy I just always knew he was just going to be the last one. He just was. But I would make a deal with a buddy of mine because neither of us wanted to be second to last, and we'd say, let's just cross the finish line together. And so we, I, I was, there was no chance in the world I was going to be first or second or third or fourth. I was like 23rd. But we're living in a day where it's like everybody wants to cross, everybody wants to be first. Everybody's got to cross the finish line at the same time. Or else we're going to offend them and it's going to scar them and it's going to mess their adulthood up. No, that's not true. But that's what the world is, is telling everybody. Let me tell you, just because the government says it doesn't mean it's true. Just because a school board says it doesn't mean it's true. Let me tell you, there's only one true thing, and that's this book right here. We've got to be a people of the name. We cannot let the world silence us. We cannot, if you pray, pray in the name of Jesus. It doesn't matter who is around. If, if, if Islam can stop and pray to their God without a shame, without being ashamed, then who are we to shy away from using the only true saving name when we pray and when we operate? Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 4, Brother Brandon, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we be examined of the good deed done to this impotent man, by what means he is made whole. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of the builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Paul is saying, or Peter rather, whom ye crucified, whom God raised, even by him. What he was saying is Jesus is alive and he's here backing up the use of his name here on the earth. Psalm 118.21 says, I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Historia Scholastica says that verses 22 and 23 describe a literal stone that was discarded by the builders of the temple until it was finally found to be perfectly fit for the most honorable place, coupling the sides of the walls together. This astonished the builders, and Ezra wrote this, wrote it in a psalm. 
Jesus is that chief cornerstone. He has become our salvation. you got to realize a corner is where two things meet. And so in regards to Jesus, it's where Jews and Gentiles meet. It's where bond and free meet. It's where law and grace meet. It's where heaven and earth meet. It's where mercy and truth meet. It's where righteousness and peace meet. Psalm 85 and 10 says, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. In other words, without Jesus, Jews wouldn't interact with Gentiles. Mercy and truth wouldn't come together. Righteousness and peace wouldn't come together. Heaven and earth wouldn't come together. Bound and free wouldn't come together. But because of Jesus Christ, we can be together and sit in heavenly places. Clap your hands unto the Lord. In Hebrew, Head of the corner is Rosh, which means head, chief, leader, prince, captain, point, top, first rank, best, highest, supreme, summit, sum, beginning, commencement, foremost, principal, source, zenith, total, most excellent, head, cornerstone, all of which describes Jesus the Moffat translation of Psalms 118.22 says the stone the builders cast aside is now the building's strength and pride. That makes so much more sense because the Jews didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. They cast him aside. But that thing that was cast aside is going to be what that church is established upon. The chief cornerstone. The image of God is our rock is scattered throughout the whole Old Testament. And it continues without missing a beat with Jesus in the New Testament. Isaiah 28, and I know I'm giving you a lot of scripture. Verse 16, therefore thus saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation of stone. Not just any stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. This is the prophetic word of that silver-tongued prophet, not knowing who he was talking about, but that there would be one whose name was Jesus, and he would be that sure stone. He would be that precious corner. Matthew 21, 42, Jesus saith unto them, did ye never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. 1 Corinthians 1, 22, for the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Jesus, or we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Hey friend, when a preacher gets up and he starts preaching Jesus, it's not just something to fill up space and time, but he's preaching the whole counsel of God. He's preaching about that chief cornerstone, and some may not understand it, but don't let the lack of their understanding determine the level of your belief. 
Jesus is still that chief cornerstone. So many people just keep tripping over who Jesus is. It's a stumbling block. They don't get it. Don't get mad at them. Because there's a difference between understanding and revelation. You're wanting them to understand something that can only be revealed by God. I mean, I've sat with people, and I'm, I've explained it every way I knew how to explain it, and they didn't get it. Because I was wanting them to get it through logic. But that veil has to be torn off. That covering of the eyes has to be opened. And then it's like that light bulb. They see it. Revelation. That's when, when, when the Lord said, Peter, who, who, who do you say that I am? He said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. In other words, you can't teach something that can, has to be revealed by God. There will come a day when the eyes of the Jews are going to be opened. That's going to be when those eastern skies split and their Messiah comes back as a mighty leader to lead them and to lead the armies against the Antichrist and the armies that oppose Christ. But right now, they don't see him. Now, there are Jews that have gotten the revelation. I preached for two Jews in California that, that got the revelation of mighty God in Christ baptized in Jesus' name. But by and large, they don't see it. They don't see it. Now, they believe in one God. You're not going to find a Jew that's a Trinitarian because they quote every day, many, many, many times a day, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. They have what they call a mezuzah that hand, that hand, that's posted on the wall by their door. And when they go in the house or out the house and come in, they touch it and they say, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So you're not going to find a Trinitarian Jew. They just don't see God in his fullness as Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2, 6 through 10, Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient the stone which the builders disallowed. The same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained Mercy. This is why Peter closes out that particular section saying, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The Sanhedrin was commanding them to not teach or preach at all 
in the name of Jesus because the name means the person. And so the name of the Lord Jesus Christ was not merely a theory or a doctrine or a theological argument in the early church. The name was a person who had all power because he had risen from the dead. That's why we worship in the name of Jesus. We sing about the name of Jesus. We pray for healing in the name of Jesus. We preach and baptize in the name of Jesus. And that's why hell fears the name of Jesus. This is why Paul said, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Somebody shout that name. All right, we're walking through this thing. Verse 13 and 14, Brother Brandon. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Now, they're in a real dilemma. you got to put yourself in... In, in their shoes. They can't argue against the results of the message the disciples are preaching because there's the results. What they used to say, the proof is in the pudding. Man that was lame, healed. The miracle did not happen because of Peter and John. It happened because they had been with Jesus. Let's keep going, verse 15 through 18. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle has been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it, but that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. So once again, the Sanhedrin's trying to silence the name. They were not seeking for truth. Simply, they wanted to silence the name of Jesus. That is the agenda of hell is to silence the name of Jesus. So what do you do when the devil threatens you and tries to keep you silent about the name? Keep reading, Brother Brandon, verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom, on whom this miracle of healing was showed. So they had no case. No case. The only thing that they could do was threaten them and then send them all their way. Because when you have a living miracle standing in front of you, you are unarmed. You are disarmed. And so they threatened them 
and sent them on their way. Keep going, verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported, reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they had heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, whom by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before them to be done. So the church met to pray in order to defeat the enemy. And began to intercede with the words of Scripture in Psalm chapter 2. See, too often today we've got believers gathering for prayer almost like they're attending a concert. There's no sense of urgency. Danger because there, 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 there's, there, there's, there's too many that are comfortable. We've got to have a revival of urgency in the church. Because people have lost. I remember just when I was a kid, if, the, if, a, if a preacher went up there and said the word, turn with me to Revelation, I started repenting. God could come back before this message is over. Because there was such an urgency. And they'd get to preaching hell so hot, you wanted to run to an altar. But where is that urgency? We've become comfortable and, and, and we're satisfied if God doesn't come back as long as we're on this earth. You know, God, I, I want to go to heaven, but not in the rapture. I'd rather die first because we want to live out our whole life. And, and some of those are natural emotions because it's not that we're scared of the rapture. We're just scared whether or not we're going to make it. Y'all know I'm telling you the truth. We want to make it. And if we knew we're going to make it, we'd say, okay, come on, God. But it's that unknown. And there's people that go, well, what if you leave the altar, you just pray through, baptize in Jesus' name, and you steal a piece of bubble gum and God comes back when you're chewing it. You know, you could come up with all these hypothetical scenarios but you know what? God's a just God. I don't have all the answers of how all the everything's going to be sorted out, but I know He's got grace. He's got mercy. And, and, and we ought to not live in fear. But we ought to have a we ought to have a the only fear we got to possess is the fear of God. And that's what's missing today is the fear of the Lord. Hey, our prayer meetings ought to be just as red hot as a Sunday night service. Amen? Stand with me. We're coming to a close. Read those final couple of verses, Brother Brandon. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. By stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed... The place was shaken where they were assembled together. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of, the, of God with boldness. The early church did not pray for their circumstances to be changed. They asked God to empower them and embolden them to make the best use of their circumstances in order to bring glory to His name. We have got to be baptized with a boldness. Anybody ever been in a public setting and you felt just that thought, pray with this person? A lot of us. You know how fast we'll talk ourselves out of doing something? No, that ain't, that ain't God. I, surely that's not the Lord. He wouldn't ask me to embarrass myself in front of somebody, would he? And we'll just sit there and we'll, well, somebody else is going to pray for him. They will. I was in a church one time and it was, it was probably about 300, 350 people. Probably about double the size of this sanctuary, longer. And I was on the platform and, and there was a couple all the way across. I was standing on that end all the way across. And the Lord spoke to me and said, go pray for that couple. That'll be the key that unlocks this service. It was the middle of the song service. And I said, oh, God, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I mean, I'd, I'd have, nobody was moving. I'd have to get down. And, so here it comes again. Go pray for that couple. It's going to be the key that unlocks the door for this service. I don't, I don't want to do that, Lord. I'll wait till preaching. And sure enough, when I stopped hearing it, there was a man all the way in the back corner, an usher. He just turned to those people, and he just started walking. He walked all the way to them and laid hands on them, and that place exploded. And the Lord spoke to me and said, if you won't do it, I'll find somebody that will do it. We got to get over being embarrassed when the Holy Ghost moves upon us. I'd rather have somebody trying to obey the Holy Ghost than to have a whole bunch of people that are just watching each other, waiting to see who's going to move. God baptize us with boldness, like that early church, not just in the house of God, but on our jobs and in our community. Amen? Amen. Let's lift our hands and thank the Lord. Father, 